The Guardian. This week on The Guardian Audio Edition. Why does America lose its head over terror but ignore its daily gun deaths? Stephen Lawrence, 20 years on. I thought there was nothing I could do. To mark the publication of Granter's new list of best young British novelists, five of the shortlisted authors reflect on the experience of having their work read as audiobooks and of reading their own work to audiences. To subscribe for free to the Guardian Audio Edition, go to audible.co.uk forward slash guardian or find us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Audioboo. The Guardian Audio Edition, a new way to get the whole picture. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, we're over the moon to be joined in the studio by Katie Stelmanis, lead singer of Austra. We'll also be chatting to and hearing music from Vermont folk singer Sam Amadon. And in Singles Club, we'll be giving the thumbs up or thumbs down to tracks by Pelicha, Janelle Monet and Erica Badu, and Doldrums. That's all on Music Weekly from The Guardian. That's the sound of Austra, a track from the second album, Olympia, which is out shortly. And joining us in the studio this week, all the way from Toronto, is Katie Stilmanis from Austra. Hello, Katie. Hi. Thank you very much for coming in. Are you? Is this part of a heavy promotional schedule for your second album? It's been kind of intense. It's, it seems to be kind of slowing down now. I'm at the trail end. This is this is more the relaxing phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's sort of a departure. The new album. Called Olympia uh, from from your debut, Philip Break. In that, Philip Break was sort of basically recorded just by you, was it not? Yes, in it your was bedroom? pretty much. And this is more of a band related, would it be fair to say? Yeah. How has that changed things? How does that? I mean, is it difficult to let go if you're used to just doing everything yourself? I was completely ready to let go. I think with making a new record, I didn't want to make another bedroom project. I didn't want to to aesthetically have that sound. And so while recording this, I would kind of start the demos in my bedroom, and then instead of finishing them like I usually do, I left them really bare and gave them to my band, and then we filled them in together in the studio. How would you characterize, if there is one, the difference in sound? Ultimately, I think the new album, we were really focusing on using organic acoustic instruments. We wanted to make an electronic album, but we wanted it to sound like a band. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I mean, Feel It Break was all synthetic and Olympia is almost 100% organic. One of the famous things that it's it's obligatory to bring up (laughs) in any interview with you is that you are a classically trained singer. You trained in the uh, Canadian Children's Opera and you set out, I mean, that really was kind of the path you were going to take in life, was it not? 
It was very much so. It was kind of all I knew and all I cared about until I was about 18. When you say all you knew, I mean, you didn't have any interest in, in uh, pop music at all. Not at all. I mean, I might have had interest if I kind of had a better idea of alternative culture, but I completely, I didn't know anything about it. Like the closest thing to an alternative band that I liked was Radiohead. Right. Okay. So what changed? What tipped you over? Well, I actually started to discover this alternative culture. Um, I had a really important moment. Um, I went to see a live band in Toronto, this band called the Red Hot Lovers from Edmonton. And they're a really small band. One of my friends, I think, was dating a guy in the band. So they came and played this rock show in Toronto, and there was probably 10 people there, but I'd never seen a live rock band before. And I was completely blown away. Like, it completely changed my perception of music because I loved it. And I didn't understand why I loved it because it sort of went against all the reasons I thought I loved music coming from the classical world. Mm. But just the intensity and the wall of sound from this band, I just was exposed to this whole new world and I couldn't go back. It's kind of a funny... I mean, you know, the more I... I don't know that much about the classical world, but the more I find out about it, the more I realise... That actually, it is quite a snooty world, and it does tend to look down on. You know, I mean, there really is a sort of gulf still there between the classical world and between popular music, and people in the classical world tend to do sort of look down their noses a bit at, at, at pop music. Was it was it a sort of big leap for you to take? Was it a wrenching leap for you to take? It was actually a pretty big leap for me to take. Cause, I mean, I had. To, I think if you're going to go into classical music and opera in particular, you really have to commit to it a hundred percent, and. I just wasn't ready to do that. I wasn't ready to commit to opera because I started discovering all this other stuff that I thought was really interesting and was more creative. There was more room for creativity. And Really? That's an interesting thing to say, mm-hmm. really. Because I would have thought that classical music, if you wanted to work in that area, really any kind of boundaries are off. It's, it's complete, you know, I mean, we live in a sort of postmodern classical world. You can do pretty much anything you want. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I found classical music... Because essentially you're just always performing somebody else's music. And especially in the opera world, there's such a specific idea of how these songs that have been performed for hundreds of years should be performed. There really isn't a lot of room for interpretation. I think with the live sets and everything, you can be creative. And people, you know, they really try to incorporate modern art into operas nowadays. But the music itself, there's... Pretty much like one accepted way of performing it. Right, right. It. Really, so there's not that much room for, for sort of wriggle room. Yeah, no, right, yeah. Do you think that that sort of training that you had have, has left a sort of permanent imprint on what you do? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's ingrained in my brain. I don't really think about it anymore, and it doesn't necessarily affect what I'm doing these days. But it's just, it's the foundation. It's my musical foundation. You know, everything I do kind of comes from there. And what about your voice? Does it, I mean, do you sort of do you kind of training as an opera singer? Is it, that's that's a kind of complicated <laughs> and rather more testing thing to do than training as a pop singer. Do you still kind of go through the exercises and stuff like that before you go on stage? Because you have quite a dramatic vocal style yeah. as pop singers go. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I'm I'm pretty casual with my voice. I hardly ever warm up. I probably should warm up because I don't think it's very good in terms of longevity. But I really don't do a lot. I, and I kind of like the idea of keeping it casual, too, because when I first started singing not opera music, I found it really hard to make that transition because I was so... My voice had been trained to sing in one particular way. I had to almost unlearn it, mm. so I'm kind of happy to get away from it. One of the things that I find interesting about you is that you said you said on a number of occasions you're not really that interested in lyrics. <laughs> How does that manifest itself when you're writing your own lyrics? 
Well, this album was the first album where I actually discovered lyrics. Oh, <laughs> and、right. I decided that lyrics are really important. <laughs> and so I, I made like a complete 180 transition on lyrics. And I worked with one of my bandmates, Sari. She's one of the backup singers. She's much more of a poet than I am, so we collaborated together. But I had really specific ideas that I wanted to get out and really specific things that I wanted to say. And I kind of started the songs, and she helped me. Real, like, fully realize them. Wow. But okay. it's nice because I, I finally sing i n g songs that are kind of actually about something,、uh-huh. which I've never really done before. So, what are they about? Enlighten us.、Um, there's a lot of different stories. I mean, most of the songs are dedicated towards specific people and are about specific situations that I may have had with those people. So, it's definitely a very personal album. It's a suitably vague answer. Thank you very much. <laughs>、yeah. No, I mean, why, why, why should you come on, come on the podcast and bear your, bear your soul? You have twins, identical twins in your band. Yeah, is I that sure、right? do.、Mm-hmm. Is that weird? Are they weird? <laughs> identical twins? I, I used to room with an ide- one、yeah. of a, a pair of identical、mm-hmm. twins, and、um, they would kind of fuck with me the whole time, and I'd go out, and the other one would be there,、yeah. and I wouldn't know. And,、uh, are they odd? They're definitely odd, but I don't think that they're actually identical. Oh, really? I mean, maybe it's just because I'm really used to them, but when I, I look at them, to me, they're completely different. Right. But they can, they can do that thing that twins like telepathically communicate and stuff <laughs> They kind of do. It's funny because I feel like their relationship in the band, they're each other's worst enemies, but also each other's biggest supporters. So it's like whenever we get in band fights, we never know it's either like one against the other or it's like. Them against everybody else.、Oh, really? Like they're constantly, it's, and you never know which way it's going to go. Do you、so. get into a lot of band fights? Oh, yeah. yeah. And when you're in the middle of a band fight, do you ever think, why the hell did I not just stay in my bedroom making music <laughs> where mine was the only decision that I had to worry about? <laughs> yeah, that's crossed my mind. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Excellent.、Um, you're coming over here again to play live, are you not? Yeah, in June. In June. You're doing one date. You're doing one of these things where an American artist comes over and they go, British tour. Yeah. And it's like one date in London. Yeah, I guess so.、Uh, when's the album out?、Um, I don't know the date. June 17th, I'm being told. Wonderful.、Excellent. June 17th. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, look, we'll be hearing more from Katie、um, in a moment. Let's move on then with this week's Singles Club. That's a、uh, How do you pronounce this? Pelicha? Pelicha? Pelicha?、Uh, with Tiff,、um, which is my choice、uh, for Singles Club this week. I am an unashamed fan of Pelicha, despite the fact that I can't actually pronounce their name. That, just at the end, you heard a male voice coming. That's Justin Vernon、uh, from Bonnie Vare. I really like this song. I really like their last album. I thought they were doing something genuinely kind of、uh, inventive and creative with sort of electronic pop. Um, I liked,、uh, as, as regular listeners of the podcast will know, I was a huge fan of the Gangs, Gangs album, and they seem to be sort of、uh, taking an aspect of that, that record and, and moving it forward.、Um, I think this is a really good song. I really like the、uh, amount of space there is in the bass line. I think it's just it's, it's beautifully programmed, beautifully done. That is why I've brought it in.、Uh, Katie, what did you make of it? 
I like it. Yeah, that's an equivocal <laughs> I like it. Huh? <laughs> I like it. I feel like I actually like it better without Justin Vernon in it. Really? Yeah. Really? What 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 do you think he his his performance does to detract from the I just felt like it was just fine without it. And then when he came in, (laughs) it just changed a lot. Okay. I agree with that. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because I think it's paced so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And her vocal does that thing that's quite difficult to do, which is quite demanding while also being quite melancholic. And, Mm. you know, to get those two things together is quite a beautiful thing. And then when he comes in, I feel like he disrupts the the pace and the tone a little bit. Trampling mm-hmm. on the whole song. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm also a fan of Pleacher. I really liked um, Lay Your Cards Out because it had that, that similar thing to this where it had this kind of rising kind of build um, and it kind of takes you, you know, through it in quite a gentle way and then him kind of cutting through that, I didn't really like that much. <laughs> OK, well, what was it, a sort of qualified thumbs up uh, for, for Pleacher's uh, new single, Tiff. Fairly Unequivocal thumbs down from uh, my, my fellow panel members for Justin Vernon. <laughs> he shouldn't have got involved. He should have, should have stayed in his... Well, I, do, I do quite like Bonnie Bear, but for some reason it didn't quite work on this. I, I like think. Bonnie Bear too. Yeah. Okay. So he should have just stuck with what he knew. Exactly. Basically what we're saying here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I guess he's a self-proclaimed super fan of that band. He is. He is. Mm-hmm. And I think they're sort of linked, aren't they? Because there was a guy from Bonnie Bear that was in... One of somebody guy that was played with Bonnie was in gangs and, and she was in gangs and, okay. and da, 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 so, so there you go. Um, let us move on to Kieran's choice. Janelle Monet uh, featuring Erica Badu. What a surprise. Kieran's brought a record with Erica Badu on it into the program. <laughs> um, and that's Q U E E N. I'm going to fess up if oh, you hadn't brought that in, I was going to bring that in. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah, so great, great isn't record. it? Karen, oh, but but tell, it. tell the people why, why you like it. Well, obviously, I'm a, a major Erica Badu super fan. But what I liked on this is the way that those two sounds, that electro funk. Uh, really works very well with those two vocalists and also because they have quite distinctive points of view when it comes to merging near soul and funk and R&B. Um, I think that this just had everything. It had all of that. It had those uh, quite uh, demanding vocals. It has that electro-funk, has a rap at the end, which is really well-paced. It works really well. It doesn't feel like it's just coming out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, and it's beautiful. There's lots of things going on, those kind of Afrobeat horns in there and kind of all the synths and the funky piano. I think it's really beautiful. And I think that uh, most of the time when Erica Badu features on tracks or in collaboration tracks, she really owns it. And that's not just my bias speaking. I think that it's all about her. Whereas on this, I think that there is a bit of shared limelight or responsibility almost and they work quite well together there's no kind of diva offs or who's the best so. <laughs> which is which is a, which is a lovely thing absolutely which is a lovely no, thing I, exactly I, I liked it very much um oh, i thought uh, it had uh, a flavor of prince about the whole thing that yeah. was the thing the most immediate thing that it reminded me of but you're right the sort of afrobeat elements and stuff like that in there mm-hmm. and it just sort of made me really excited to hear the Janelle Monáe album. I know, it's, it's like, going to be so good. I really loved the last one, and this mm-hmm. just sounds brilliant. Um, Casey? I loved it too, a lot. I think this is probably one of my favourite Janelle Monáe songs that I've heard. I like it. And, I mean, maybe it was in my brain for a really obvious reason, but it kind of reminded me of Queen 
a little bit mm. just in the way that they harmonize together, like okay. the, the way the perfect harmony of the voices. I found it re- very, very reminiscent of kind of like the old classic, it's almost multi-track Broadway, queen, yeah. yeah, Broadway style Queen songs, and especially the moments where it's very empty, like there's just vocals, really, like there's a real emphasis on these harmonies. I think they stand out really beautifully, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does have that theatrical sense as well mm-hmm. that, that Queen have as well, I think. Mm-hmm. It's an intriguing, intriguing notion. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of Queen mm. at all. And actually, now, now you say it, yeah, I do sort of see, I do see the point. And there is a sort of huge theatricality about it, which is really good, mm. I think. And um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just really intrigued to see what the what the next Janelle Monae records. Like it's one of those things. Certain artists come along, and you actually don't really know what the next record's going to be like. And mm. and that is a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. And I was sort of thought about that this week because this came out, and the, these new Puritans uh, putting an album out, a new album out. And it's like I don't know what they're going to do next either. It made me rather excited. But also, it's interesting to see a follow up to the Arch Android because that album was so difficult to place genre wise, and there were so many different things going on, and you know, there was all these crazy. Uh, descriptions like robotic funk or like robopop, you know, all these kind of weird things that didn't really, I don't know, uh, even now kind of what to make of it and you get so much from it from different listens. So The Electric Lady should be a good, interesting follow-up, I think, and I hope it is as interesting. Yeah, maybe more cohesive. Yes. <laughs> a little bit. Okay, that's a yeah, fair point. Um, let's move on to Katie's Choice. That's your choice. That's Doldrums and Anomaly. Uh, Doldrums, a Canadian band. Yeah, he's a, um, he's a fellow Canadian. Uh, do you know him? I mean, is, I'm not suggesting you're trying to boost your mates here, but I mean, <laughs> do, is, is, do you know him? Are they... Yeah, I do know him. I guess I am kind of trying to boost my mates here. <laughs> um, I mean, I went on tour. I've known him for years and years and years. Actually, it's funny. He used to be in this band called Spiral Beach when he was a teenager, and everybody in Toronto hated that band because... It was just a bunch of kind of bratty teenagers that were able to sell out these huge venues in Toronto. They had this like major following, and all the other older bands were kind of like, "Who are these guys?" Um, and now one of those, one, another member from that band is Dorian, who's in my band. Ah. And all of them have kind of grown up to, into these really awesome projects and doldrums. Kind of blows my mind, and it's just crazy when I think of Eric as being like this really annoying 16 year old because like <laughs> really brilliant musician now and he just came on tour with my band and his live show is probably one of the best live shows I've seen in a long time I saw wow. him last year uh, playing at the Great Escape in Brighton mm-hmm. and I went along because mm-hmm. somebody that was involved with him was, was, was a friend of a friend and normally when someone goes oh, come and see my mates thing you know, oh, God. Mm-hmm. and he was absolutely fantastic yeah and I feel like that but his ability to play live almost doesn't quite come across on his album. Mm. Like, they're two very different experiences, yeah. and I love them both. And this this is one of my favorite songs on the record, but it's just, it's totally different live. It's like almost two completely different bands, in a way. It's amazingly diverse what he does as well. It's quite hard to put a finger on. Yeah, he's extremely experimental, and I think part of the reason why his live show is so engaging is because it's it's very improvisational. Mm. Like, he's, he was working with samples on the fly. He's just, he's really creative in the moment. 
tell us what you specifically like about this track. I think, as I said, like in terms of the live recorded tracks, this one's probably my favorite. I just, you know, I think it's I think it's really catchy. I think it's got a really good chorus. I love all the ahs, the choir vocals. I think it's a beautiful, well written track. Excellent. Well, no, I completely agree with you. I really, really like it, and it made reminded me to check his album out again because I did listen to it when it came out, and I I haven't really given it enough time. Mm-hmm. Kieran, um, and it's interesting you say it's catchy because his vocal is the steadiest thing throughout it, mm-hmm. and I like all that kind of mismatched glitchiness and the kind of you know eccentricity of the production almost. But what I liked the most about it was that it doesn't move in a linear way. Like when we were just listening now, suddenly there is this kind of like a, a kind of a bridge contortion almost. And then it goes all like crazy and it doesn't move like how you expect it to move. Mm-hmm. And actually his vocal is what keeps it steady. And so, I don't know, I think that the production's really not very catchy or poppy, but his vocal is. Yeah. And I think the way that they work together is quite interesting because mm-hmm. when I first heard it, I couldn't really, I was like in the other room, I couldn't really hear the vocal and I was like, what is, what is going on? I, <laughs> I thought it would like skip, you know, sometimes on SoundCloud and they all play through mm-hmm. and it plays through different songs. I thought that would happen, but no, same song. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're working on the, for listeners who are just working on the basis of that little clip, that bit where it goes, it just keeps doing that all the way through. It yeah. keeps changing and shifting. And I, yeah. I just find that incredible engaging. I love the idea you sometimes get of someone that's just bursting with ideas and it's just kind of like, how many more yeah. things can I cram into the, you know what I mean, to, yeah. while the song still holds together. Do you think that's because you're into psychedelia? I think it's because I'm into psychedelia. <laughs> I think everything ultimately comes back, my liking of everything comes back to the fact that I'm into psychedelia but and your disco. Ear is more, your ear is more trained to that kind of distorted production thing isn't it or yeah like I just like weird music I tell you what ultimately what it all boils down to there's <laughs> two things I like in music one's like weird noises and good tunes and if you've got those two I'm probably going to like what you do and this has both <laughs> well it's funny because I think it's probably his most linear track on the album <laughs> like the other ones on the album are a lot weirder and he takes influence from really weird places too like I know he's really into Skrillex Really? really? You'd yeah, never know so. from the base of this track I mean you really wouldn't <laughs> well, he, one of his singles he released from the album I remember it it's kind of sounds a bit like a Skrillex song, and I remember I was really drunk one night. I went up to his manager, and I was like, why did you release that track? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he basically said it was kind of a joke. <laughs> so I think he kind, of, he kind of has a very lighthearted approach to his music, which is cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, brilliant. Well, um, the Doldrums album came out, I think, in about February over here. What's it called again? Do you know I have no idea, you have actually. No idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that just about wraps it up for Singles Club. Sam Amadon is a folk musician from Vermont who upped sticks, moved to London and married Beth Orton. His albums have previously comprised mostly new arrangements of traditional songs, but his new one contains a Mariah Carey cover. He came in to explain himself to Maddie Costa and play us a song. My old friend, I recall Times we had our hanging on my wall I wouldn't trade them for gold They laughed and they cried me they somehow sanctified me They're woven in the stories I have told And tell again, my old friend I've been listening to Bright Sunny South slightly obsessively for the past month and uh, I, I'm really aware that it's different in some way from I See a Sign, the, the album that preceded it. But I'm really unable to articulate what that difference is. I wonder if you're if you have a sense of a difference and what that difference is for you. I do. I um, 
in a certain sense, it just came from a little bit more solitary place, I think. And and the last couple albums, you know, I did in Iceland with this sort of Icelandic collective label, you know, Veteran Community at Valgir recording it and Nico Muley, the composer, doing arrangements. And Iceland has this very tribal environment, you know, and you sort of go there and you're immersed in it. And and this was a conscious th- thing that I wanted to do. I mean, I, I, I wanted to change from that atmosphere. And, and so this one came a little bit more out of a solitary place. And um, for me, that's the difference. But it might be dif- that might not capture it for somebody else. I don't know. When you say it came from a solitary place, does that partly mean also the connection that you had with the songs that you chose? At this point, I should probably say that you're not a songwriter. You tend to be an interpreter of songs. Yeah, I, I don't really write songs in terms of lyrics or anything, but I take old folk songs and I but I change them around quite a lot to the point where some of them the music is you know entirely new some of it's not you know not as different in terms of the material you know that's pretty unconscious I don't I don't think of it as like a batch of songs that I've chosen it's more just once I've reworked them and stuff they are mine at that way for, for me they are you know they I don't think of them as folk songs anymore I've, I sort of imagine that I've written them even though I obviously haven't and I think that yeah I think that was true in this material you know these were a little more the last couple albums have had a, maybe a bit more variety in terms of taking material from children's singing games or different places, whereas this one was a little bit more of a ballads record, you know, it kind of came more from that tradition of that kind of lonesome mountain ballad thing, you know, songs about loss and those things. The time gets thin, my old friend Don't know interviewed in the observer a few months ago and she spoke very beautifully about the effect that meeting you and marrying you yeah. and having the child with you had on her own herself as a songwriter and i wondered if you had felt there was some similar effect that your relationship or it, absolutely had had on you. i don't think i could talk about it as poetically as she did but it absolutely did and i mean one thing i could say is in terms of musically making music with her and being here and learning about a lot of this music, you know, it did open me up to a lot of stuff that I didn't know about or was kind of prejudiced against when I was younger. My parents are folk musicians, and I grew up totally immersed in folk music. But for us, folk music had nothing to do with the acoustic guitar. We didn't listen to any singers who strummed an acoustic guitar. To me, that, to us, it just that just sounded like some singer-songwriter bullshit. And I never heard Dylan, Joni Mitchell. I didn't hear that stuff till I was 22. And, and if I'd heard it, it just sounded weak to me. We listened to, you know, early American folk hymns, weird old gospel music, tons and tons of fiddle music, you know, fiddle. And that might be accompanied by a guitar, but that's different. So I listened to fiddle players and Irish tunes and old-time, scratchy old-time fiddle players. That was music. That was folk music for me. And along those same kind of lines, English folk music didn't really make sense to me. Like, I loved the Watersons, which is a, you know, really earthy, raw, unaccompanied a cappella music. But the kind of 60s British folk psych, all that kind of stuff was like just remained foreign. And so with Beth, you know, through loving her as a person, but also her music as a songwriter and, and, you know, and seeing on the inside how she works and seeing her connections to Bert Yanch and Anne Briggs. And, and so, yeah, I mean, she's introduced me to all those musicians and also her work. That is a big part of this album, I would say, you know, the kind of creativity that's been around, you know, English 
I mean, English folk music, they've been reinventing folk songs for years now. It's not, not nothing. What I'm doing is not unique, you know, at all in that sense. That's really interesting that there's this whole tranche of music that gets categorized as folk music that, that you grew up. Yeah, like not even, even now thinking. people call Beth, you know, a folk singer. It doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, but I understand why they say it now, but it just wouldn't have made sense to me as a t- teenager. Yeah. And then at the same time, I remember seeing you play at the Vortex a couple of years ago and... Um, when you do this amazing cover of R. Kelly's Relief and there was this ripple through the crowd of he must be doing this ironically. Yeah. But actually, when you talk about that song, you describe it as a folk song. So I, you yeah, obviously have one. some really interesting ways of defining what, what is a folk song, what makes a folk song. Yeah, I think for me, folk music was not really so much connected to certain instruments, you know, it was more just like a quality a melody could have, you know, or a quality a lyric could have. And you can find that anywhere. But what is that quality about? Is it tapping into a particular emotion, tapping into... I think it's often something that I, this is a guess, because it's really just something you hear or not. But I think it has to do with something that's a little bit ancient sounding to your ears, whatever that means. In a great folk song, like a real, an old ballad, there's an intersection of familiar and weird and alien. You know, there's that quality of, and R. Kelly certainly has all of those things <laughs> in spades. So with a with a ballad, you know, there's these references that culturally don't really make sense anymore, but but the sentiment is so raw and intense. And there, and with a lot of those folk songs in the 19th century, there's a real comfort in talking about death in an intimate way that we don't have as much now. So I don't know how that connects to R. Kelly, but, but I do think he's, you know, deeply connected to weird stuff that he's not scared to go there, you know, and, and whether he's doing it, who knows what his motives are doing. It is completely inscrutable, but, but that's similar to a folk song because you don't know what the motives were. There's no artist behind it. It's some weird object that was sort of created through these transmission of singing. So there's death on, on the one side, but then if you think about the Mariah Carey song on Bright Sunny South, Shake It Off, that's thinking about love in a particular way. I gotta shake you off Cause the loving ain't the same And you keep on playing games Like you know I'm here to stay It's a heartbroken song. I just love that melody. I mean, the thing about something like the Mariah Carey song is that it doesn't matter what it is at the same time. You know, on the one hand, I can talk a lot about what folk songs mean to me. But on the other hand, I don't sing these songs because they're folk songs. I sing them because they're my favorite melodies and, and because they get caught in me and because the words teach me something or, you know, have that weird mystery to them that's so intense. And it just happens to be the case that it's usually an old ballad that that happens with for me. And there are folk musicians out there who are really preserving a tradition and who are really aware of that and I really respect that and I rely on those people to learn a lot of songs and stuff but that's not me I don't know that many and I'm not at all interested in culture from that time or not not particularly interested in old culture or I'm not nostalgic for the 19th century you know it's just for me it's not about preservation it's just that it's good so in terms of the Mariah Carey song whether it's connected to folk music is irrelevant. It's just it's it got that melody got stuck in there for me. And then what's interesting about that, of course, is that the melody that you give to the song yourself makes it unrecognizable. Yeah, 
I, I know I put that down on the piano and it kind of came out that way because I have no idea how to play the piano. So I guess it just came out however my piano playing told it to come out. I love the way that you make... I think in your albums you make very personal journeys as well. You've already talked about this a little bit with Bright Sunny South. But you're making a personal journey by tapping into other consciousnesses, consciousnesses uh, through using other people's lyrics. I, to what extent is that a, a deliberate decision on your part, that it's, it's a better thing to tap into wider it's, thinking? It's, I think it was basically necessity. You know, if I sat down to write like a thing about myself, I would just, I wouldn't have no idea what to write. You know, I can't kind of, you know, I mean, I'd write it in my journal and it would just come out really looking completely boring to anybody else. So it's my instinct as a person to share stuff that I see, find with people, you know. You've brought your banjo with you today and you're going to sing us a song now. Correct. When I've seen you play live, you you spin fantastic yarns before you uh before you sing a song and you're about to sing a song for us now from the new album bright sunny south a song called as i roved by and as uh, i roved out as i roved out i'm sorry i apologize no worries. um and i i wonder what yarn you'd like to spin for us about this song before you sing it um this is a song about how you might take a walk out on a cold winter's night maybe you bring a bottle of wine and you start looking at the trees, but because maybe you're in search of some inspiration, but if the, as the sun goes down, the shapes of the trees change and the shapes of the branches, and maybe you realize you're encountering a form of inspiration you weren't intending. Okay, thank you very much. Let's hear it.
fall underfoot. We'll rise and boom again. But love, it is a killing thing. Did you ever feel such pain? That was Sam Amidon talking and indeed singing to Maddie Costa. And Sam's new album, Bright Sunny South, is out on May the 14th on Non Such Records. We should probably also mention that Austria's new album, Olympia, is out on June the 17th on Domino. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks to Sam Amidon. Of course, to Katie Stillmanis. Thank you to you, Kieran, for coming in. Thank you, Alexis. Um, check out uk forward slash me. Thank you, to thank me, your co-host. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, check out guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more information on the show and, of course, to have your say. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.